Hi, I'm Ken. And I'm Dee. And welcome to our special Patreon bonus episode presentation of Varney the Vampire or the Feast of Blood. We are on Chapter 16, The Meeting of the Lovers in the Garden, an affecting scene, the sudden appearance of Sir Francis Varney. Really strong right out of the gate with telling us that somewhere in the middle of the story I have to feel an emotion. Our readers will recollect that Flora Bannerworth had made an appointment with Charles Holland in the Garden of the Hall. This meeting was looked forward to by the young man with a variety of conflicting feelings, and he passed the intermediate time in a most painful state of doubt as to what would be its result. The thought that he should be much urged by Flora to give up all thoughts of making her his was a most bitter one to him, who loved her with so much truth and constancy, and that she would say all she could to induce such a resolution in his mind he felt certain. But to him the idea of now abandoning her presented itself in the worst of aspects. Shall I, he said, sink so low in my own estimation as well as in hers, and in that of all honourable-minded persons, as to desert her now in the hour of affliction? Dare I be so base as actually or virtually to say to her, Flora, when your beauty was undimmed by sorrow, when all around you seemed life and joy, I loved you selfishly for the increased happiness which you might bestow upon me, but now the hand of misfortune presses heavily upon you. You are not what you were, and I desert you? Never, never, never. See... We have no choice but to stand. We must stand, but I do wish he was less wordy about it. I wish he would shut the fuck up about it a little bit, but his intentions? Very good. I feel like I would admire his honor more if it were shown rather than told. I feel like if he were the stoic, silent type, I would have more respect for him. If he wasn't, like, just constantly spouting off about, uh, like, I know that, like, you'd think I wouldn't want to stay with her, but I totally do. Like, every other chapter. Well, yeah, but if you start getting particular about that, then we have to abandon the whole book. I know. (laughs) Charles Holland, it will be seen by some of our more philosophic neighbors, felt more acutely than he reasoned. But let his errors of argumentation be what they may, can we do other than admire the nobility of soul which dictated such a self-denying, generous course as that which he was pursuing? Is the author actually saying that he should abandon Flora? (laughs) The author is saying, Charles should abandon Flora, but you, the reader, should admire him for not doing so. Again, we are being told how to feel about this, which I resent. Yeah, yeah, see, okay, yeah, I still, like, I'm still hauling days, but I do resent, like, I don't like the author saying, like, obviously he should leave, like, no? <laughs> what? It's not generous to not abandon your fiancé. You don't get a co- cookie. The not-as-big-a-jerk-as-you-could-have-been award? (laughs) Yeah, let's give that one right to Charles Holland. As for Flora, heaven only knows if at that precise time her intellect had completely stood the test of the trying events which had nearly overwhelmed it. The two grand feelings that seemed to possess her mind were fear of the renewed visit of the vampire, and an earnest desire to release Charles Holland from his repeated vows of constancy towards her. Feeling, generosity, and judgment all revolted holding a young man to such a destiny as hers. To link him to her fate would be to make him of real extent a sharer in it, and the more she heard fall from his lips in the way of generous feelings of continued attachment to her, the more severely did she feel he would suffer most acutely if united to her. And she was right. Oh, thanks, author. The very generosity of feeling which would have now prompted Charles Holland to lead Flora Bannerworth to the altar, even with the marks of the vampire's teeth upon her throat, gave an assurance of a depth of feeling which would have made him an ample haven in all her miseries, in all her distresses and afflictions. Wait, okay. What? Two points. First of all, everyone keeps saying that if he married Flora, it would be the worst fucking goddamn thing ever. Except nobody said how exactly, and... Well, they've said several times that when she dies, she'll become a vampire and feast on her own children. 
So kill her! She'll already be dead, it will be very simple. They've tried so hard to kill Varney thus far and not succeeded. It might not be possible to kill a vampire in this book. Yeah, because he's because he's running. Like <laughs> I bet if you I bet if you chopped chopped her up into pieces that she wouldn't come back. Or at least it would be pointless for her to come back because she would be chunks. Okay. I feel like that would also be very upsetting to do. If she's already dead, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I appreciate the logic. However, I don't think the human feeling will quite let us go there if we are Charles Holland. (laughs) I'd also like to point out that we have no, not even a little bit of confirmation that a vampire has happened. All we know is that there's been a freak in the window a couple of times who is continually being shot. They jumped to conclusions so hard. What was familiarly in the family at the hall called a garden was a semicircular piece of ground shaded in several directions by trees and which was exclusively devoted to the growth of flowers. Ah, like a garden, perhaps, yes. The piece of ground was nearly hidden from the view of the house, and in its center was a summer house, which at the usual season of the year was covered with all kinds of creeping plants of exquisite perfumes and rare beauty. All around, too, bloomed the fairest and sweetest of flowers which a rich soil and sheltered situation could produce. You you never read Les Mis, did you? I didn't, no. Haven't given myself the old brick. There's a chapter where Marius and Cassette meet in a garden, and it's several thousand words of Victor Hugo just describing flowers dripping into bloom in such a way that can only give the impression that he wants to fuck them. Like, Victor Hugo uses flowers in prose the way Yahweh manga artists use flowers in their panels. Oh my, that's an accusation. And I really want to find and read that segment. I'm very afraid that this is going to be imitated in Varney the Vampire. I am very excited that you might be correct. Alas, though of late, many weeds had straggled up among their more estimable floral culture, for the decayed fortunes of the family had prevented them from keeping the necessary servants to place the hall on its grounds in a state of neatness, such as it had once been the pride of the inhabitants of the place to see them. It was then in this flower garden that Charles and Flora used to meet. What, used to meet? He this is, he hasn't been to her house before. What do you mean used to meet? That's a great question. The fuck? Do they mean used it as a meeting place, maybe? That must be it. He can't possibly have fucked up his own plot so bad that he forgot that Charles had never been here before. I would never underestimate this author's ability to fuck up his own plot. That's fair. This is also like a more general like gripe, but... Why would they be proud of the garden if they weren't the ones who, like, fuck off. If your servants did it, then you shouldn't even be allowed to look at it, much less be proud of it. Yeah, no. Why would you be proud of a garden that you just paid other people to plan, maintain, and cultivate? Yeah, that's a business venture, not a point of pride. (laughs) Eat the rich. As may be supposed, she was on the spot before the appointed hour, anxiously expecting the appearance of her who was so really and truly dear to him. What to him were the sweet flowers that there grew in such happy luxuriance and heedless beauty? Alas, the flower that to his mind was fairer than them all was blighted, and the wan cheek of her whom he loved, he sighed to see the lily usurping the place of the radiant rose. Well, Ken, here come all your nightmares. (laughs) He's doing it. (laughs) Dear, dear Flora, he ejaculated. Oh, (laughs) it's so, it's... 
It's such a sixth grade thing, and yet, does it ever stop being funny if we're all being honest with each other? Every time. It's always funny. You must indeed be taken from this place, which is so full of the most painful remembrance. Now, I cannot think that Mr. Marchdale somehow was a friend to me, but that conviction, or rather impression, does not paralyze my judgment sufficiently to induce me not to acknowledge that his advice is good. Wow. That, sorry, that, that, that sentence was just a lot. He might have couched it in pleasanter words, words that would not, like daggers, each have brought a deadly pang home to my heart. But still, I do think that his conclusion he was right. A light sound, as of some fairy footstep among the flowers, came upon his ears, and turning instantly to the direction from whence the sound proceeded, he saw what his heart had previously assured him of, namely, that it was his Flora who was coming. Oh, she's not here yet? No, he's just- Who is he talking to? He's ejaculating to himself in the garden. <laughs> what the fu- I deadass thought they were talking already. <laughs> no, he's just like this. Yes, it was she, but ah, how pale, how wan, how languid and full of the evidences of much mental suffering was she. Where now was the elasticity of that youthful step? Where now was that lustrous beaming beauty of mirthfulness which was wont to dawn in those eyes? Alas, all was changed. The exquisite beauty of form was there, but the light of joy which had lent its most transcendent charms to that heavenly face was gone. Charles was by her side in a moment. He had her hand clasped in his, while his disengaged one was wound tenderly around her taper waist. Sir, you take liberties. Well, they are engaged, I suppose. Flora, dear, dear Flora, he said, you are better. Tell me that you feel the gentle air revives you. She could not speak. Her heart was too full of woe. Oh, Flora, my own, my beautiful, he added, in those tones which come so direct from the heart, and which are so different from any assumption of tenderness. Speak to me, dear, dear Flora, speak to me if it be but a word. Charles, was all she could say, and then she burst into a flood of tears, and leant so heavily upon his arm, that it was evident but for that support she must have fallen. <laughs> so far, this is a great talk. <laughs> Charles Holland welcomed those, although they grieved him so much that he could have accompanied them with his own. But then he knew that she would be soon now more composed, and that they would relieve the heart whose sorrows called them into existence. He forbore to speak to her until he found this sudden gush of feeling was subsiding into sobs. And then in low, soft accents, he again endeavored to breathe comfort to her afflicted and terrified spirit. Accent? Wait, is he, is he, is he like, uh-huh, calm down, Flora? Because accents? Because accents. Because low, soft accents? Yeah, I'm sorry, it was a dumb joke. <laughs> My Flora, he said, remember that there are warm hearts that love you. Remember that neither time nor circumstance can change such endearing affection as mine. Ah, Flora, what evil is there in the whole world that love may not conquer, and in the height of its noble feelings laugh to scorn? Write a poem, Charles. Oh, hush, hush, Charles, hush. Wherefore, Flora, would you still the voice of pure affection? I love you surely, as few has ever loved. Ah, why would you forbid me to give such utterance as I may have to those feelings which fill up my whole heart? Is this the affecting scene? Is this where we're supposed to be affected? Yeah, am I, what am I supposed to be affected by other than, like, I guess, like, a little bit of, like, secondhand embarrassment because she keeps telling him to shut up? No, no, no. Flora, Flora, wherefore do you say no? Do not, Charles, now speak to me of affection or love. Do not tell me you love me now. 
not tell you I love you. Ah, Flora, if my tongue, with its poor eloquence to give utterance to such a sentiment, were to do its office, each feature of my face would tell the sale. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. I don't like that. Each action would show to all the world how much I loved you. I must not now hear this. Great God of heaven, give me strength to carry out the purpose of my soul. What purpose is it, Flora, that you have to pray thus fervently for strength to execute? Oh, if it savor aught of treason against love's majesty, forget it. Love is a gift from heaven, the greatest and most glorious gift it ever bestowed upon its creatures. Heaven will not aid you in repudiating that which is the one grand redeeming feature that rescues human nature from a world of reproach. Jesus Christ. Are you reconsidering your Hollandaise stance? Not a whit. I just wish the author would not do this. <laughs> <laughs> Flora wrung her hands despairingly as she said, Charles, I know I cannot reason with you. I know I have not power of language, aptitude of illustration, nor depth of thought to hold a mental contention with you. Listen, I'm dumb as hell, Charles, but... <laughs> Flora, for what do I contend? You, you speak of love. Yeah, yeah, he had, like, non-stop since you guys met. <laughs> and I have, ere this, spoken to you of love unchecked. Sure have, bud. Yes, yes, before this. And now, wherefore not now? Do not tell me you are changed. I am changed, Charles. Fearfully changed. The curse of God has fallen upon me, I know not why. I know not that in word or in thought I have done evil, except perchance unwittingly, and yet, the vampire. <laughs> oh boy let that not affright you affright me it has killed me nay flora you think too much of what i still hope to be susceptible of a far more rational explanation by your own words then charles i must convict you i cannot i dare not be yours while such a dreadful circumstance is hanging over me charles if a more rational explanation than the hideous one which my own fancy gives to the form that visits me can now be found find it and rescue me from despair and from madness they had now reached the summer house, and as Flora uttered these words, she threw herself onto a seat, and covering her beautiful face with her hands, she sobbed convulsively. Oh, good talk, Flora. Good talk. You have spoken, said Charles dejectedly. Yep. <laughs> I have heard that which you wished to say to me. <laughs> Thank you. No, no, not all, Charles. I will be patient then, although what more you may have to add should tear my very heartstrings. I, I have to add, Charles, she said in a tremulous voice. That justice, religion, mercy, every human attribute which bears the name of virtue, calls loudly upon me to no longer hold you to vows made under different auspices. Go on, Flora. I then implore you, Charles, finding me what I am, to leave me to the fate which has pleased heaven to cast upon me. I do not ask you, Charles, not to love me. Tis well. Go on, Flora. <laughs> Get on with it. <laughs> because I should like to think that, although I might never see you more, you loved me still. But you must think seldom of me, and you must endeavor to be happy with some other. You cannot, Flora, pursue the picture you yourself would draw. These words come not from your heart. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Did you ever love me? Charles, Charles, why will you add another pang to those you know must already rend my heart? No, Flora, I would tear my own heart from my bosom ere I would add one pang to yours. Well, I know that gentle maiden modesty would seal your lips to the soft confession that you loved me. 
I could not hope the joy of hearing you utter these words. The tender, devoted lover is content to see the truthful passion in the speaking eyes of beauty. Jesus Christ, buddy. Content is he to translate it from a thousand acts, which, to eyes that look not so acutely as a lover's, bear no signification. But when you tell me to seek happiness with another, well may the anxious question burst from my throbbing heart of, Did you ever love me, Flora? Charlie. Charlie. Her senses hung entranced upon his words. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, what a witchery is in the tongue of love. Yeah, yeah, okay. Some even of the former color of her cheek returned as forgetting all for the moment, but that she was listening to the voice of him, the thoughts of whom had made up the daydream of her happiness. She gazed upon his face. His voice ceased. I think that's the shortest sentence we've had in the book thus far. Yeah, I think it is, actually. So he is capable of conveying a complete thought in three words. He doesn't need to be doing this. <laughs> he, can, he knows how. He knows better. To her, it seemed as if some music had suddenly left off in its most exquisite passage. She clung to his arm. She looked imploringly up to him. Her head sunk upon his breast as she cried, Charles, Charles, I did love you. I do love you now. Then let sorrow and misfortune shake their grisly locks in vain, he cried. Heart to heart, hand to hand with me, defy them. Oh, this High School Musical 4 is weird, but I'm into it. He lifted up his arms toward heaven as he spoke, and at the moment came such a rattling peal of thunder that the very earth seemed to shake upon its axis. Not yet, screamed Charles. I didn't mean like right now. <laughs> a half scream of terror burst from the lips of Flora as she cried. What was that? Only thunder, said Charles calmly. T'was an awful sound. A natural one. But at such a moment, when you were defying fate to injure us. Oh, Charles, is it ominous? Flora, can you really give way to such idle fancies? The sun is obscured. Buddy, she thinks she got eaten by a vampire. Like, the baseline is that for any time she says, like, holy shit, magic. <laughs> Aye, but will shine all the brighter for its temporary eclipse. The thunderstorm will clear the air of many noxious vapors. The forked lightning has its uses as well as its powers of mischief. Hark! There again! Another peal of almost equal intensity to the other shook the firmament. Flora trembled. Oh my god, wait, is the author a flat earther? Earther? Let's talk about the firmament? Charles, she said, this is the voice of heaven. We must part, we must part forever. I cannot be yours. Fickle. Flora, this is madness. Think again, dear Flora. Misfortunes for a time will hover over the best and most fortunate of us, but like the clouds that now obscure the sweet sunshine, will pass away and leave no trace behind them. The sunshine of joy will shine on you again. There was a small break in the clouds, like a window looking into heaven. From it streamed one beam of sunlight, so bright, so dazzling, and so beautiful, that it was a sight of wonder to look upon. It fell upon the face of Flora, it warmed her cheek, it lent luster to her pale lips and tearful eyes, it illumined that little summer house as if it had been the shrine of some saint. Behold, cried Charles, <laughs> where is your omen now? Stop shouting, Charles, there are neighbors. God of heaven, cried Flora, and she stretched out her arms. <laughs> the clouds that hover over your spirit now, said Charles, shall pass away. Accept this beam of sunlight as a promise from God. Traumatic <laughs> sons of bitches. I will, I will. It is going. It has done its office. 
The clouds closed over the small orifice, and all was gloom again as before. Flora, said Charles, you will not ask me now to leave you. She allowed him to clasp her to his heart. It was beating for her and her only. You will let me, Flora, love you still? Her voice, as she answered him, was like the murmur of some distant melody the ears can scarcely translate to the heart. Charles, we will live, love, and die together. All right, Flora, that was a little grim. Usually it's live, laugh, love, but sure. Yeah, live, love, die. This is going on my kitchen. And now there was a rapt stillness in that summer house for many minutes, a trance of joy. They did not speak, but now and then she would look into his face with an old familiar smile, and the joy of his heart was near to bursting in tears from his eyes. A shriek burst from Flora's lips, a shriek so wild and shrill that it awakened echoes far and near. Charles staggered back a step as if shot, and then in such agonized accents as he was long indeed in banishing the remembrance of, she cried, The vampire! The vampire! Oh no! Oh my god! Thus ends chapter 16. Oh no! The cliffhanger! What could happen next? I hope they stop shouting at each other in the garden. (laughs) Okay, chapter 15 turned me toward Holland days, and this chapter is steering me away again. Listen, it's shaken my firmament. I am still a Holland days. It has shaken my firmament a little because the boy does not know how to shut the goddamn fucking hell up. I would appreciate it if he would do more than talk. It would be great, right? (laughs) Although I guess that is an odd stance for someone who has a podcast. Oh, maybe he'll get a chance to do, you know? Maybe he'll start a podcast. Maybe Holland will start a podcast about marrying a vampire. And then he can get all of his feelings out on it and leave the neighbors alone. I really like that he told her to shut the fuck up about the thunder. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, it's it's just it's just goddamn thunder. Would you chill out for like five seconds? And then like, there's that shaft of light. And he's like, wait a second. You're right. <laughs> it is God. <laughs> oh, man. I know that they that they spent more time together than just that, but listening to him talk about his memories of how like happy and like bubbly and pretty she are are really funny to me because they did meet while she was like half dead on the side of a mountain. Yeah, <laughs> so but he rescued really... her from that, and I feel like the rescue is probably a happy memory. Yeah, yeah, but like it's a happy memory, but I wouldn't be like ah as golden and beautiful as she looked that day when she was fucking bleeding and broken. <laughs> side of a mountain. Don't kink shame Charles. You're right, I'm sorry. <laughs> Actually do, because that's kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty weird. Well, are you excited for chapter 17? I am so excited because I know the Admiral's gotta show up soon. He's on his way. Chapter 17 The Explanation The Arrival of the Admiral at the yes! House Yes! A scene of confusion and some of its results. Well, that would just be the book so far, so. The Admiral's on his way. I'm so fucking pumped. I'm so fucking pumped. I cannot wait for Charles' two gay uncles to bust in and be like, what the fuck is going on here? What the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) What the hell is wrong with all of you people? Why do you still live here? Let's go. I know several people who own boats. Let's leave. Maybe the Admiral can put this all right. I believe in him. I believe in the Admiral and Jack Pringle. (laughs) I think Jack Pringle could fix anything if he put his mind to it. I feel like Jack Pringle fixes most of the Admiral's life. (laughs) I feel like the Admiral would be literally and figuratively lost at sea without Jack Pringle. I mean, that's why you married him. I mean, you know. 
Talk about metalotage. Oh, indeed. Well, thank you all for supporting the podcast. We look forward to joining you next week for the arrival of the Admiral. Yeah. Get hype. Au revoir. Goodbye.